Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break. Your day podcast for the Storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, February 27th. There are so many different storylines unfolding right now in the pro tennis world. Feels like we have at least five events on the calendar each and every week. As such, you can understand why it's going to be impossible for a fan with a job, a fan with a family, a fan with other obligations to follow everything that's unfolded. That's why we try to make your life a little bit easier easier with daily podcasts here on this feed with podcasts covering all sorts of other topics happening at the other levels of the tennis world on our various podcast feeds. But something we have yet to do on any show is take a deep dive into what are my sneaky favorite parts of the calendar, the South American clay court swing now nearing its conclusion. It's time to take a look at everything that's unfolded over the course of this month in February. And again, we got so many different headlines to hit, so many different young players making a moment for themselves this month, setting themselves up for fascinating 2024s moving forward. What we want to do on today's episode again is catch you up on all the biggest headlines that have emerged from this South American clay court stretch and joining me on today's show to help me do precisely that is the exact right guest you want for this exercise a man who has been locked in to the south american clay court swing from the start of course he's also a guest who has joined us many times on our various crack rackets podcasts as he's a contributor extraordinaire here and across multiple tennis platforms of course he is now also a national champion and a man to quote him in his don't give a era welcome back to the show our dear friend david gertler david i've missed you it's good to have you back how are you doing my friend well, I'm doing pretty good right now because Diego's up a break on Ketsmanovic. Uh, so that that's pretty good. I'm doing pretty good in general. I mean, I guess it's like I actually don't love January and February, like the months. It's like gray and cloudy. You know, you're from Michigan. Um, <laughs> but like, but like we're it's finally today was like 70 degrees and sunny and like I was outside. It was nice. It was enjoyable. And like it finally feels like spring. And so oh, that's good. My two favorite months of the year, October, happens to be my birthday month. It's my favorite weather where it's just sweatshirt weather and occasionally pants or shorts. And just, again, I feel like I'm in my element. February is my second favorite month. And it's my favorite month professionally just because I get to be on the road. Like, I got to be in Cleveland. You know, I've shared this experience on the show, so I don't know if we've talked about it. I got to go to dinner with Ethan Quinn the night before the Cleveland Challenge. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah, I got the chance to finally get to know Patrick. You asked why he didn't go to college? (laughs) 
Well, he did. I mean, didn't stay in. I mean, didn't stay an extra well, year. Well, I think he. I think he was ready to go. Um, and with the accelerator tour, yes. To to answer your question is yes. We got into everything. Got to finally get to mm-hmm. know Patrick Kipson, who we've been in similar circles, but we finally got to know one another Kipson. well enough that he was able. To, yeah, I'm excited about and it. he was able to come on the Cracked Interviews podcast. So it was That's great awesome. to do stuff like that. I get to be at the National Indoors in Seattle, New York, for two of my favorite events. It's the best college tennis teams in the country all descending upon one location i get to see all the families i've gotten to know over the Uh years i love february and again we get to spice things up in the pro tennis world not only do you have five events every week indoor hard courts outdoor hard courts we get some clay court action as well in the month of february and thank god yeah (laughs) well that's why i wanted to have you here because i know this here's the thing can we can we just say ATP clay court action? The WTA, I don't. This is true. Yeah, That's a very Rio. good disclaimer. They used to what, have Rio. I don't what know. What about the 125Ks? I feel like sometimes they're, the surface they're might vary. Court. Okay. They're on hardcore, though. I mean, at least Puerto Vallarta was on hardcore. Um, and then the week before was on hardcore. Well, then. Those are Mexico. You know what? You bring it up, so let's do this now. Because I was going to save this for our final topic, but it was something I wanted oh, to sorry. discuss. No, 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 no. There's. David, the whole goal, by the way, let's say it publicly here. I was going to say this before the show, but I'll just put you on the spot. You're not allowed to apologize again the rest of this show. That is your task here on this episode. You're not allowed to say I'm sorry until the end when you apologize for apologizing at some point in this show. Um, Anyways, Andy Murray tweeted out. It became a popular subject Uh on Twitter that he thinks – he goes, unpopular opinion – I think South America should have a 1,000-level event. And you look at the crowds at these events. They mm-hmm. are spectacular. I can't speak to the revenue they generate, but there are butts in seats at Calendars every too. one of these. Calendars. Absolutely. Every single one of these South American tennis events. Obviously, if you follow the sport historically, I mean, those Argentinian crowds back in the day to watch some of those Delpo teams. I know they lost the home final against Croatia, but I still remember that crowd. And it is just very clear there is a passion for this sport in South he America. I asked, yeah. uh, when oh, he, you know. how about Fonseca or Sabeth Vild or Montero yeah. or any of the guys in Rio? Diaz Acosta had a home crowd legitimately in his final in Buenos Aires. And I think that's why he got over the finish line. Like, these fans know how to cheer for this sport as well. They make the energy. It's just electric events. The reason I bring that up, I don't think it's an unpopular opinion, David. I think it's just a fact. Like, if you ask well, people who follow the sport, they would support putting a 1,000-level event in South America. The question is, David Gertler, does it fit in the calendar? If it does, should it be in the month of February? What would you do with this proposal that gets more attention obviously when Andy Murray by the way you could have just stopped everyone was supporting tweeting out I agree with Andy Murray like about you could have just stopped with I agree with Andy Murray that's usually a good place to end um well I'm, well let's not we're I'm not, not gonna, the, I'm not his biggest fan but you know, but not really because of what he tweets but what do you think where should there be a 1000 level event where just, should it go in the calendar okay let me just start off by saying I don't have an issue with that journalist that question whether he should retire or not that's part of the you know when you're a professional athlete you're in the spotlight you you know you have lost okay, but but away from andy season. murray yes okay back to the clay yes okay so yes. i just want to say that so i don't always agree okay. with what he's it's not it actually might be more unpopular than people think i mean then like than you think because like just today i got into it with someone on on twitter about uh how they uh oleg do you know him 
um, I got into it over this same topic because uh, I, because he clearly thinks that the fields are weak, yada, yada. Part of the reason why fields are weak in general, unless they're in a far out location, like for instance, the Rwanda challenger this year is for the next two weeks, but it's in Rwanda, right? It's so far away from the rest of tennis that you're going to get weaker fields. But a lot of the times, the reason why fields are weak or not is because they're not offering enough points and prize money. So I feel like the whole, well, well the fields are weak. Well, if you made Buenos Aires into a 500 and Rio into a Masters 1000, then the fields are obviously going to be a lot stronger. Um, and I also, I don't think the fields are as weak. I mean, I think Delray or Dallas are, are weaker than anything that we saw in Buenos Aires. But anyways, that's in this side. I absolutely think, here's what I would do. Do you want to know what I would do? No, I didn't ask what you would do. Okay. Of course I want to know what you would do. And I've actually seen this in the past, Alex. You turn Miami into green clay, and then afterwards you I, – I would get rid of – I actually think Monte Carlo is a fantastic event. So I would keep Monte Carlo. I would downgrade that monstrosity, kahamahika, ridiculous Madrid event in altitude that doesn't even prepare you for the for Roland Garros because it's an altitude. And as we know, altitude clay is a lot different than what the conditions – in uh, Roland Garros. So I would downgrade that to 500 and then have a South American swing after um, after Miami, and then you'll go into Monte Carlo and then Rome. So I agree with you in terms of schedule placement. I disagree slightly on the details. I What I would do, because the issue with the field for me, it's a, not about the points of the money. I mean, of course, it is partially about that, but it's about the conflicting events going on. You've got an indoor 500 in Rotterdam. You've got 500s in Doha, Acapulco, Indian Wells, Miami on the horizon. People don't want to go play clay courts when they know there are more hard court. Uh, you know, Alcaraz did. Nori did. So certainly there are some Nuri that want to go play plays. Right? Yeah, Pastor. but 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 you know, more often a lot of these top players want to stick with the hard top courts because hard that's court. what they're. But no top players in general. Stefano Tsitsipas is better on clay than hard courts. Where was he this past week? He was in Los Cabos. He was in Acapulco. Casper Ruud's the exact same, by the way, example. Casper Ruud, same thing. Surface-wise, he would have more opportunities to gain points. Yeah, but where was he this year? He was in Acapulco. But I will say Los Cabos played like clay at times. But Uh, but here's the point broadly, is we're in a hard court phase of of the tour schedule. Why not switch that or stick with that and just move everything up a couple of weeks? So the Middle East swing gets its shine, you know, simultaneous with the indoor hard courts in Europe. You don't have this clay court swing going in February. Instead, you move up and be Indian Wells a week, maybe two weeks. You put it, you know, end of February, start of March. Miami can still go right after it. And then... Uh, you know, again, if you want to move Monte Carlo back, if you have to get rid of that Marrakesh Esther all week, that would certainly suck. But after Miami, well, the thing is, after Miami, you go to South America and that's where the clay court swing begins. And it just geographically, it kind of makes sense. Now, I don't know if weather wise it makes sense because near the equator, April, it's going to get a little hotter than it is in February. No doubt about it. Or cold, you mean, right? Uh, or you mean either, either way? What I'm saying yeah, yeah. is either way, it just gets like it is a variable, certainly. But that's where this month fits. And I will say, you know, I was looking at it. The guy who comes to mind, Tiago Montero, I've repeated this stat a couple of times now, so I apologize, listeners, but I haven't said it to David. 
He's made 14 quarterfinals in his career. 11 of them have come in this month of February. Like a guy like Sebi Baez, who's made 14 quarterfinals at 30 clay court events since the start of 22. I think like 10 of those 14 have come in the month of February as well. Like this does provide massive opportunities for guys like Baez, like a Francisco Sarundula who kind of got things started in this like sort of dairy. stretch. Yeah, sure. Where does he go from here? That's a great question. This does provide opportunities for players who might not otherwise pursue it. And that would be the argument for keeping it here. And I do think if you keep it in the month of February, there's just not room for a 1,000 level event. So I guess what my argument comes down to, David, and then final word on this topic belongs to you, is I think South America should get its own accentuated portion of the calendar. I think mm-hmm. the best spot for it would be immediately after Miami, when again, geographically, that you're all- the is on the women's side? Yeah, I think because or or wherever where in Colombia did Peyton Stearns make her final? Because it was happened, that Pinoto, right? Yeah, that happened right around there. So I forget if that's the exact. Whatever happened? Yeah. No, or we're in, exactly, but but you have that event. Like again, it stinks because Monte Carlo comes so quickly. Obviously, you've got Charleston on the women's side as well, but that keeps you still on the in the Western Hemisphere. Like I wouldn't mind if the first three weeks, four weeks of the clay court season are in South America and Monte Carlo. It sucks because you're right. One of Monte Carlo, Madrid, Rome, you probably have to give one of those up because I don't think there's room for four post-Miami 1,000 level events. Or Monte Carlo, unfortunately, is the casualty. Like something's getting given up is the point. But I think it's worth it. Like I think South American events have proven it's worth it. I guess that's my take, David. Final thoughts on this topic belongs to you. My my final thought is when is the ATP ever – had logical scheduling. Think about like Bastide, Kitzbühel in the middle, like after the Roland Garros. But it's hard, like because every event is its own entity. Like it's a yeah. huge issue. You're right. Newport's after the grass season, after Wimbledon, like sure, but not anymore. Rid of that. Yeah. But, you know, like I just think that, like, I just, I don't think the fields are as weak as people think. When you look at the fields. I really don't think they're as weak as people think. I just think that they're players that maybe people don't want to watch as much. Or just players who have been so South American clay court centric that they're, you're just less familiar with them on a mainstream yes, that's note. Actually, because, that's, yeah, it's yes. that so many of them have so, like a guy like Navone, who like I think it's every quarterfinal, maybe one in his uh, other than one in his career has been on clay at courts. the pro level, but he's barely played pro events. No, but even challengers and ITF, like all of his success has been ch- uh, clay court centric challenger stuff. And again, unless you're following that specifically, he or Diaz Acosta are the sort of guys maybe you've missed. But I'm glad we're talking about these players because that's where I want to go sure. next. We got a lot of different guys to hit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I yeah, thought you were gonna. I thought no, you were gonna no, jump I, in there. I agree. I just we do all have right. a lot. I got. I, I got five topics for you. Okay. All right. Let's run through them. Let's start at the top. The we'll headliner. probably walk through them, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, not even a walk. It's more of like a, we're holding hands and enjoying, we're in the honeymoon phase still walking together. Like, let's just enjoy every minute of this as the sun sets. That's how we're going to go through these topics. Number one is Sebi Baez, who mm-hmm. obviously gets his biggest result of his career, winning a 500 level event in Rio you know, dominant down the home stretch in wins over Sarundolo Navone. In particular, that first set against Sarundolo, though, down 5-4. Sarundolo had set points. It got competitive, but again, Baez's ability to pull away there 
impression, uh, very impressive. And look for the 23 year old, this whole swing, semifinals Cordoba, Cordoba quarterfinals Buenos Aires, yeah, and then and then title in Rio. The point is, yeah. he he's winning multiple matches at all of these events that he's playing so mm-hmm. far in this South American clay court stretch. And what is always a significant stretch for him, I mentioned this again. He's played thirty clay court events since the start of twenty twenty two. He's made fourteen quarterfinals or further now. Four different titles on the surface as well. You look for him in the month of February specifically of those fourteen quarterfinals. Uh, let's see four. Now three, so seven, seven of those 14, uh, excuse me, of those 16 quarterfinals on clay. Uh, no, 14 of those quarterfinals coming on clay. 15, final answer, uh, coming on the clay courts. Here's the point, more broadly. ELO ratings right now in Tennis Abstract have him 10th overall in clay court specific on ratings. On clay? Oh, no, that's, yeah. That doesn't fail right. I don't I'm know if it doesn't. It doesn't feel right. <laughs> doesn't it feel right, though? Because, again, you look for him during this stretch, tour-level no. matches on clay for two years now, David. Two years now. He's breaking serve 31.4% of the time. That's elite of the elite. And he's the he's only not- guy I have ever seen, David, whose hold percentage gets better going from hard courts to clay courts. Like, again, he just hits his spot so well. The forehand is a bazooka. The backhand has good depth as well. He's the thing that's most Very underrated high. in his game is how successful he is when moving forward to the net because he is an outstanding volleyer. And with how big he hits the ground stroke, those opportunities present themselves for him and he follows them forward so well, uses his quickness so well. All he has to do is make the drop shot because you're so petrified of what he's going to do with his ground strokes and yet his ground stroke has uh, drop shot, excuse me, has exceptional touch as well. I don't think it's overrated, David Gertler. I think he should be 10th best ELO ratings. Because, like, the guys above him are, like, Tsitsipas, Djokovic, Zverev, Rude, like a Rublev, Sinner, Rune, Alcaraz. I have it in front of me. Rune, yeah. Itra, Fritz, Berrettini. Are Fritz and Berrettini ahead of him in clay court specific ELO rating? Did yes. you go clay raw? No. So you have to go clay raw because clay elo factors in other surfaces as well and how you'd factor that in. Clay raw is just clay court results. Here's the list. Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, Djokovic, Rude, Rublev, Zverev, Sinner, Runa, Medvedev, then Sebi Baez. I'm fine with him right there because the guys below him, you know, Lorenzo Musetti, I'm picking Baez. Cam Nori, look right, good, but I'm picking – I'm. Yeah, any version. You're picking Baez over Nori? I think that, I don't know. Nori won Rio last year. Nori's very good on clay. I just would give the edge to Baez. A healthy Berrettini, a healthy... Healthy Berrettini doesn't count. I would still pick Baez right now on the clay with how well his his ball moves It depends on the clay event. Um, Yari is a good comp. Yari's probably next man up. Like, I would be fine if he's in that same tier as Baez. Like, the, I, I don't disagree with that. But, but Francisco Sarandolo? You're no. Not no. And he's not competent really? right now, A. B, and we're going to talk about him in a little bit. But B, no, I wouldn't. Because Baez has been this consistent. No. The consistency's not there. Single match on the Echeverry, right day. In a, in a single match, I'm picking Echeverry over Baez. Mm, Echeverry's in the Yari Baez tier as well. Like, Kieran you're right. Katana? He belongs. Belongs in this tier as well. 
belongs in this tier, but I wouldn't have him definitively over. No, like I'm saying this is where Sebi Baez belongs. It's not tier one. Maybe it's not even tier two on Clay where it's like, oh, he's going to get quarterfinals, semifinals further up 1,000 level in slam events. But he's tier three in the sense that he could beat any of those guys on any given day. And I just – I guess that's the point I'm trying to prove is if you want to disagree with 10, fine. But yeah. if I say he's a top 12 clay court player, David Gertler, I don't think that's an objectionable statement. Like, I think that's the realm he belongs in. I think that it's fair. I think it's arguable. Let me go through. Let me just go through some of his results and kind of put them in context um, sure. from the past two weeks. So starting with Buenos Aires, he started off by beating Bernabe Zapata Morales. Zapata Morales has been completely out of form. <laughs> he then played Luciano Darderi, who I'm assuming we'll talk about later. Darderi had won a title the week before. He was out of gas, and he had actually beaten Baez the week before in Cordoba. Um, and then he got embarrassed against Correa. Um, and I can say confidently he was embarrassed in that match. It was He was embarrassing in how many unforced errors he had in that match. He then played Mute, who had nothing to hurt him in Rio, uh, Diaz Acosta, who had won the week before in um, Buenos Aires and was out of gas. Montero was up a break in the third before he imploded. Fran Sarundolo, you mentioned he was up 5-4 in the first set. He played one of the worst sets I've ever seen in professional play in that second set. And he got embarrassed in that second set, not because of Baez, but because of his own unforced error spree. I believe, what did he have? Like 43 unforced errors across 18 games. It was crazy. Um, in the, and then in the final, Nabone, that match was closer than 6-2, 6-1, but Nabone had come through qualifying. He was out of gas as well. Um, now, what that might say, though, the counterpoint that you're probably going to make is that Baez is a fit, fast player that can help accentuate Play other players running out of gas. So I know I mentioned Darderi, Diaz Acosta. Yeah, and let's be clear. Baez is playing every week. Like you talk about yeah. these guys. Oh, they're tired from the week before. Like Baez made semifinals, quarterfinals, title run. Yeah, like he's playing every match. week. Okay, but it's not as though he's not playing every week. No, no and he's better. But, you know, winning the title and the emotional, uh, you know, fatigue that comes from winning your first ATP title for Darderi and Diaz Acosta, I think does play a role as well. Um, and so, and Diaz Acosta, Acosta did pretty well in Cordoba as, as well. I believe he made the quarters, right? Yeah, lost or, to Baez. Uh, right, right. Or the second round. Yeah, he did lose to Baez. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I will say he's good. Great pop on his racket uh, from his uh, forehand, especially. He's super fast. I actually like him more when he's stepping up in the court as opposed mm-hmm. to just defending. Mm-hmm. That was something I noticed in the Navona match was that when, when he allowed Navoni to dictate, that's when Navoni kind of got back into it. Whereas, and, and if I'm mispronouncing anyone's name, you can always not me. Caroline Garcia. I, I still remember <laughs> that. Um, but uh, so I do think that he's at his best when he's being aggressive. I thought that some, you know, even dating back to Roland Garros last year, when we saw him implode against Monfi, uh in a cramping Monfi in a inexplicable implosion. I think part of the reason why he imploded was because he was maybe waiting for Monfi to make miss, you know, he was kind of, he wasn't stepping up in the court and being himself um, and at, at his best. And so I'm impressed. You don't, and I feel bad because, you know, I love these guys, but I don't think he's 
at the level where he um and I'm kind of contrary. I, I think he's a very good player. I don't think he's an, he's anywhere close to being an elite like court player. I guess where I disagree is that he's gotten so much better stepping into the court. He is so good at dictating, finding the outer thirds. I mean, he had Navoni on a string in that match. And you're right. Every point was competitive, but Baez was one shot better every time. And his forehand was the biggest weapon. It's a bazooka. Like Again, he hits the backhand through the court well. He hits the slice well. He changes direction down the line well. Like His second serve is more effective on clay than it is on hard courts. And... With how well he moves, he can, he just makes your life miserable. And the moment you take your foot off the gas, he's going to hit a forehand bazooka by you. I, I just think but he might he hit is, it right into the middle of the net, like he did against Goria. Maybe, but he's been pretty consistent. Like again, you look for him overall since the start of twenty two, fifty one and twenty six on clay courts, yeah. two thirds win percentage. Like this is a top twelve guy on clay courts, and just if he ends up in a quarterfinal yeah, of the French maybe. Open, I wouldn't be surprised. I guess that's my take. What has he done at the French Open in the past? I've, well, it, it's been draws that have know, been so fascinating. He lost last year French Open Muffy match. Year that before that, he loses match. second round five sets to Zverev. That was a really high quality match. Um, again, Zverev was Zvereving, but still, like that's really it. In twenty twenty two, I don't think he played it. He played. Uh, no, that's when he lost to Zverev. Excuse me, those are the last two. Ball. Yeah, twenty one when he wasn't main draw yet, and so. You know, again, he's still relatively new there. I'm just saying it wouldn't shock me. That's my big thing. He's going to yeah, be like a, no higher than a 17 seed probably. And if he is higher than that, he won't be on anyone's sleeper list. But he's going to be on my sleeper list. And you know what? Well, and he also won two clay court events in Europe. There were two yeah. 50s. Um, and he also won a hardcore title in Winston-Salem. Yeah. He, again, so, at a career he, high. Beat Lehechka in that final as well. Guy's the real deal. Again, there's serious pop behind his game, even if the height obviously but isn't there. Doesn't it the, – maybe the reason you mentioned the second serve, maybe the reason why it's better on clay is – Which has more time. To, you're right. It has more time to defend when the – 100%. 100,000%. Like, yeah. That's why. It has nothing to do with it. And the kick is more effective. It gets a little higher on you. Um, it just makes his opponents a little bit more comfortable, opens up more angle for him. But 100%, it's about time. It's absolutely not yeah. about pace. Um, all right, topic number two. This one's going to be a quicker one, but it's still a fun one. We'll see. We'll see with us. <laughs> no, I'm 100% sure because it's one man still, but it's just how all in are you? It's not even a question of are you all in. How all in are you on 17-year-old University of Virginia commit and 2023 U.S. Open Junior. He's not coming. He shouldn't come. Jao Fonseca. No, here's the thing. Obviously, last week was the big deal making the quarters in Rio. His backhand is sinner-esque, David Gertler. Like, watching him turn through it, watching him explode through it down the line. Like, exactly? Oh, I love every part of his game. I love the way he compelled the Rio crowd as well. Just the energy, the pizzazz, the movement, like the explosiveness. I just, I liked every part of it. I'm all in. I'm curious what your feelings are on the 17-year-old. I've been watching him since basically his first challenger match. Um, I, and I remember the first time I watched him, I swear I'm a, I probably have a tweet somewhere in the archives about it because the first time I watched him, I was like, holy (laughs) this guy is incredible like I think there was just something different about him like the pop off his rack it's like the first time I saw a center in the challenger I remember it was maybe Ordesai 
or something like that. I'm like, this guy looks different than everyone else. Yes. You know, with that level. Now, obviously, yeah. I'm not comparing. Well, you got to no, compare. I did. I no, I'm dead serious. Like that's where it was. Like this firepower. I, you just know it when you see it. I I compared maybe on Twitter his forehand to Del Potro, so maybe I'm a <laughs> look. He, I love. I actually love his forehand more than his backhand. Um, I think yeah. his forehand is. I like his forehand too. Uh, I mean, it's just he can just dictate from that wing so easily. He has such a high ceiling, and Does he's a he's great so- volleyer. Like he is a really good volleyer, follows it forward in a way Sinner had to develop over the course of three, four years, and that's why he is who he is now. Again, I'm not saying Fonseca is already a better Sinner because physically he's just not there yet, but there are just pieces and how comfortable he is moving forward behind the weapons he has from the ground. Ugh. Now, let me also caution. I don't like I don't like her verbally. Uh, no, and so, well, let's just put into context. Yeah, that's funny. Since this, since the start of this season, he has lost to Popko, Lavagno, and Comisana. Um, in addition, to yeah. So I'm just saying that it's not like when I'm, when we were talking him up, it's not like he's like bulldozing everyone. You know, sure. he's not. But he's 17. Right, right. But I'm just saying he was playing in his home event. Yeah. You know, this is not. I don't, what I'm trying to say is this should not be the norm it, for him. But here's what I'm saying, and why that I actually like completely disagree with that framing is when he's playing at home, that's the one time you would think circumstances would be most ideal for him to find that level. And oh my God, did he find it, David? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now he, he played phenomenal. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, ra- I don't want to rag on these guys. He yeah, what's your, what are your concerns though? I am curious. My concerns are, A, I actually don't like his back. I think his backhand can be a little <laughs> leaky. That's um, I think, I think that he, Physically has a little growing up to do, which is fine. Obviously, I, yeah, I know you're sure. about to say 17. Yes, he's 17. That's no, more. that's that's 100 percent on the list. It's like he's got to um, get stronger. He's got it. Uh, he's quick, but he's got to get stronger. He's got to get stronger physically in terms of endurance. Exactly, um, exactly. And, and the final thing is, I think, and this is again, this is not ragging on him. This is just saying. No, I asked. You remember, we did these things with like JJ yeah. Wolf and yeah. with all. No, so this is why I asked. I want to know. Right? Like, yeah. like we've had full podcasts about these one guys. Lay like, it on we, me, David Gertler. Right, and so I think that the last thing is, I think he needs a little bit more patience on the court, which is why he's losing sure. to guys like I like that Paco and uh, Budukaga. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Fairly recently is because those guys can draw out errors more, um, yeah. which, you know, that little bit of a lack of patience. And then, yeah, I think that back in, like I said, he lost to Lavagno. I watched him against uh, Felix Gill, which is a lefty Brit uh, earlier this season as well. When they're rolling those heavy lefty forehands into his backhand, it can be a little tougher ha- for how. Um, however, you know, again, I'm going to try to keep this positive. He took Arthur Feet to the cleaner. Um, mm-hmm. Christian Garin played really well against uh, Carbaez by end of the round before, and Fonseca took out him in straight sets. Uh, and then Navone was smoked by Fonseca until he started to physically fade a little bit um, in that second, and then especially in the third set. Um, and so I'm I'm very optimistic. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. It didn't happen for Zinner overnight. It didn't happen for any of these guys overnight. But I am super optimistic. He hits the ball. Like the pop off his forehand is incredible. He is insane with his forehand in terms of the pop and in terms of like that was the first thing I noticed years ago. So I'm very excited for him. 
do I think he's even going to win this week? I don't know. You know, he, uh, and that should not be the norm. Um, that should not be the norm that like, we should be expecting him to be just rolling through, uh, all these matches, but I'm very excited in terms of the next three years down the line, as opposed to like the next three months. Yeah. I, the thing is that you need to ask him to slow down and be a little bit more patient. That's what you want out of every young player. You don't want to say, Hey, are we sure you have the skills? Do you have the explosiveness? Do you have the weapons? He has those. There's no question about that. Getting yeah. smarter with how he deploys them all is the quest for every 17-year-old, and it's just clear this guy, yeah, if he ends up at Virginia, I, I will be shocked because the level is just extraordinary already. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm I'm sure the Virginia coach would love him there. Uh, yeah. That'd be a national title singles winner, I think, you know. You know, I mean, I don't know college that well, I, but I watched, you know, in April or May or, you know, whenever. Yeah. I can't imagine any college player beating him. Yeah, uh, it's again his Besides energy. Besides the one-off, like Borges no, the job. Uh, his his energy would his energy would fit in very well. So again, hopefully we get to see him continue to have success. On the other side of that success equation has been Francisco Sarundolo, who's where I want to go next. Twenty-five-year-olds currently twenty in the world. David Gertler, that that matters. He won thirty-eight tour-level matches last season. That matters as well. Semi-finalist last week in Rio, maybe, maybe gets the mojo going. But how concerned are you with him? Where does he go from here? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about Sarandolo. He sh- first-round losses, I- by the way, Buenos Aires and Cordoba. Yeah, so so we yeah, let's go through that. And then he lost to Timothy Skatov in um, Davis Bo- Cup. Yeah, on clay, which given Skatov, this outside of Davis Cup, Davis Cup has won one match this season, and I just watched him yesterday, and he was terrible. There, that was not a good loss either. Um, yes, I watched the Munar match. Surunderlo was completely erratic from the baseline. Yeah. He made a little bit, you know, he had moments, you know, he had moments where he was putting it together, but those were just too far, uh, too far away from each other. You know, like there was two big gaps in between. Um, something that happened both against Baez in Rio and again in Buenos Aires against Diaz Acosta was he lost a, fir- a close first set. Remember we were talking about he was up 5-4 against Baez. He was in a tie break against Diaz Acosta in Buenos Aires. Um, Super competitive. And then in both second sets, he lost six love. Like he just mentally checked out. Um, I just don't think, and he even posted on Twitter recently about, and Holger Rune actually had to console him a little bit. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you see that exchange? Uh, He just does not seem like he's mentally there right now. Um, You know, yes, you mentioned he made the semifinals. He saved how many break points? He saved 12 of 14 break points against Dusan Lajevic while generating only three break points of his own um, in the quarterfinals. He probably should have lost that match, in my opinion. Um, he played the in the second round, he played the ghost of Albert Ramos, the <laughs> no less. Uh, and then in the first round, he played to Francisco Comasana, who was a guy who I've had my eye on for a while, but the breakthrough is just not happening. And then, by the way, and that Comasana's uh, match, we're talking about the inconsistencies with Sarandolo. He lost the second set 6-1. So even in the victories, it doesn't really feel like he's thriving out there. Um, I'm concerned. 
We but we've seen in the past, like last Golden Swing, he was droopy head, you know, you know, was terrible uh, in losses to uh, who did he lose to? Um, he lost to Zapata Morales six one in the third uh, and six three in the third. He lost twice to Zapata Morales. He got he retired against uh, Federico Coria. He was terrible against Echeverry, but yet he went on that run in Miami. And then he made the second week of Roland Garros. So you just never know. He's the type of player, boomer bust. You never know in a given week when he's going to put it together. However, it's been super disappointing. Just way too inconsistent, not getting enough from the serve. You know, forehand, he's just kind of slapping at it. I know he always looks like he's just slapping at it. But, like, he's really, like, just slapping at it. Backhand's been terrible. Uh, Just not thinking out there. Uh, What do you think? No, he's on the list. Him, Davidovich Fakina, a guy like Shapovalov, you know, these guys who their ceilings can be so immense and they're so clearly physically gifted, and yet the vacillation between ceiling and floor and the roller coaster ride that feels like every match for these players, like they're all on my list of it's kinda of like make or break, especially Davidovich Fokina this year. Shapo has a little bit of an injury mulligan to use still, oh, but but Davidovich Fakina but I think Davidovich Fakina, Sarundalo, like it's just kind of like, is this really who you are? Because if it's a third or fourth straight year from yeah. these guys of just 500 level play, like Davidovich Fakina yeah. every year is within four matches of finishing his season 500. And yet he's, you say he's a disappointment. He's been top 30 for like, Two and a half years consecutively, and he's still in his early twenties. So he hasn't won an dis- title, right? Okay, but how disappointing is it really if he keeps getting bites at the apple? It's like he's still in the game, which at his point of his career, that's all you can really ask for. If you're top thirty, not off one slam result, and you haven't won an ATP title, I think that's disappointing. I don't agree because he's what twenty four years old. It's just like again, you bite around the apple long enough, you're going to get your shot. Like Karen Hatchinov. It's a little bit different because he had some success beforehand, but for five years, no titles. Now he's won two in four months. Like it just kind of happens. Have like more that. slam success, right? Like sure, and yeah, it's it's not. You the know, then we have a bit of bitch in the slams underarming to yeah, hold but then but then he'll make a one thousand level final, and that's why he ends up. Yeah, it's what Monte Carlo or one of the two last year. Well, I guess or, that's a non mandatory. That's a little but, different, but it is. It still counts. Like here's the point. I would put Sarundalo on that list, like where it's just like his forehand, his serve, how well he moves at that size. He should be a consistent top 25 guy. And he is a top 25 sure, yeah, guy, but it's not consistent. And his rankings 20, he's got a significant sunshine swing result to defend. He's just a guy you have to watch moving forward because if this is who he is, fine. Now we know moving forward and you can kind of put, put him in that category of high upside, but you know, again, like the Sasha Bubla category, who, by the way, is having his most consistent season. We'll talk about that a different time. From, David, a, set but, down. from a set down, especially. No, I mean, it's just remarkable. But yeah, Sarundalo, again, it's just been a weird four-month stretch for Francisco Sarundalo. And so I, I'll keep you know my what, eye on him. You know what I call people like Shapovalov and uh, Sarundalo and uh, Agar Aliasim? Do you know what I call them? Falling stars. I don't know if I – I mean, again. I don't even know if Sarandola was a star in the first place, but Shapovalov and uh, FAA, those are fallen stars in my opinion. 
It's a debate for a different time. All right, let's move on to our next final two topics here. We're going to play a game, real or not real. You tell me just upside. What do you think it will be at the end of the season? Let's start uh, with Luciano Darderi, who, of course, 21-year-old, 22-years-old now, wins his first tour-level title in Cordoba, loses second-round Buenos Aires, qualifying 2-2 two and two to one Manuel Sarundolo. How real? Not real. Is the 21-year-old success, David Gertler, where does the current now number 80 in the world go from here? Can you repeat the player's name? You, uh, you Luciano Darderi, I apologize. Darderi, okay. I think he has high potential. Um, I think that if in terms of a buy or sell, I'll buy. He's only, what, 22? Yeah, uh, 23. No, two. Something like that. I just, I just looked it up today. Yeah. Uh, huge serve, huge forehand. Um I think that I didn't necessarily, I did not expect him to win the Cordova title. Um, he did so pretty damn uh, convincingly as well. Um, beating Baez, Yannick Hanfman has had a lot of success on the Golden Swing in the, at least last year. Um, and he beat him in straights. Ofner had a nice start to the season. He embarrassed Ofner. Um, Barrios Vera has a decent game, although he's out of form. And then, um, to win your first title in the way that he did, um, just to win in straight sets, I thought it was very impressive. The reason why I'm higher on him, I'm high on him though, was he has weapons, right? I think he can translate this to hard courts. I think he can translate this to European clay. Um, I'd be very interested. I think in Rome, you know, you never know. Masters 1000, home crowd behind him. It's possible. I think he could go in a run. Um, I think he has a game. That, you know, he beat Navone uh, very easily in uh, Buenos Aires and Navone made the final of of uh, Rio. So I'm I'm very curious to see uh, how it goes from here. And he was competitive with Baez when they rematched in Buenos Aires. I'm, I've been, and I've watched, uh, I've watched our dairy for a while and I've wondered when is he going to make this breakthrough? Because like I said, those weapons. Um, and I think that it's, it's finally happened and I don't think it's a one-off. I'm not sold. Like, backhand solid. Forehand needs to be on clay because it's that big, loopy windup. And on a quicker surface, he's just not going to have time to do it. It's good pop. No, it's solid. Like, he winds it up well. And on clay, it is effective because it is heavy topspin. But he's just on a quicker surface. He's never going to have time to get into that unless he lands the first serve. And, you know, he kind of reminds me body type Hamad Medvedevich. Like, bigger, thicker guys who still move pretty well despite that size. He's a solid player. Really good on clay, top fifty guy on clay. I I don't I need to see it on hard courts before I believe in it. I just I don't know that, if it's gonna work. I'm not saying that he's great on hard courts yet. I'm saying he has the potential. I think. Um, but I I, I think I think you're more sold on his weapons than I am, and that's what I need to see more of. Here, here's all. And he also, by the way, ended 2023 pretty damn well too. He won yeah. the Lima Challenger, beating no, he's good. Great, he's Tabilo, a good player. Navone, but if you're asking, like, I'd still put. Uh, I'm blanking on their names, but I'd still put Arnaldi ahead of him. I'd still put Caboli ahead of him as well. Um, I wouldn't have put Caboli. I already had this debate with Damien Kust. You guys are just wrong about it. Who does Damien agree with? You. And then who's the other Italian that I'm blanking on right now? Good serve, good forehand. No, not Musetti. Outside the top 100. Musetti's another falling star. He's having a baby soon. Nardi Uh, is the answer. Who is it? Nardi. Luca Nardi. Yes, Nardi. No, I'm Team Kaboli. Anyways, we got to move on to the next player. Fasundo <laughs> Diaz Acosta, 23 years old. He wins his first title in Buenos Aires. You went on the lefty. What's his upside moving forward? I think he's another. He's a player that is very much 
I think going to be, I actually think he's more than Dardari is going to be clay based. Um, even though I think he has some weapons as well, but he does have a long wind up on the forehand. He's very more, I would say top spin heavy. Um, you're laughing. Maybe you don't agree. No, uh, I, it's funny. I love Dardari's game. Like, do I think he's got a massive hardcore upside? No, I think you're very right in that assessment. Wrong. Fast. Like he is just Diaz fast. Acosta or Dardari? Uh, no, did I say Dardari? Excuse me, Diaz Acosta. He is Diaz Acosta. Yeah, he is he's so fast, fast. and fast. so that's why I think his upside is is fascinating because Diaz Acosta is not. You're right. Like the ground strokes, the long nature of his forehand, it'll be interesting to see it on a quicker surface. His core positioning, how far behind he was in the baseline in that Yari final was laughable. But man, can he scoot. Like that yeah. twitchiness, that quickness, that athleticism, you have my attention, I guess is the answer. So I, I, I'm a little bit more intrigued by him than Dardari uh, just because I think he's a better athlete. And I just don't think Dardari's weapons are... I don't see them quite to the point where it's like, oh yeah, you got to go with him. I think on clay, I think I okay. How am I going to say this? I think Dardari might have a slightly higher upside long term. Okay. I think that on, on off of clay, I think on clay, Diaz Acosta has a much higher upside, and I think he's a I think he's a better player. I I totally agree. The defense and it, his defense has not always been this great. Um, it's gotten better. He's gotten a little. He's gotten better on defense. His backhand has become more solid than it used to be. Um, it's not leaking nearly as many errors. He can do like. Yes, he was behind the baseline a lot in that Yari match, and he can kind of revert to that. Like Baez, sometimes he can just get into defense mode. Um, however, there are times when he's stepping in with his uh, lefty heavy forehand and able to drag opponents off the court, uh, you know, cross court with that lefty forehand and play some offense from that wing. He also has a sometimes, not always, but his drop shot can be very good as well. Um, and I think that. I actually was noticing this when I was watching him today. I would like to see him employ some more backhand slices. Um, I think that's a good, I don't think he, I think sometimes he goes over the backhand a little too much. Um, whereas, uh, which a little lower percentage at times, whereas he um, at times is a little too, I think a slice would be a better, more way to reset the point. Fair enough. Again, he's, what do you think? I mean, do you agree, disagree? What do you think? I need to see it on a quicker surface because it's just clay courts. Again, his speed is so overwhelming. It just keeps him alive in ways that doesn't, the rest doesn't really matter. He just finds ways to beat you to a spot eventually because he finds that angle, that opportunity to absorb, redirect. What about Mariano Navone? Again, last one. He finalist last week in Rio. uh, Soon to be 23-year-old, up to a new career high, number 60. I like his backhand. I like his ability to drive through with the forehand on quicker surfaces, though. It's going to be a problem. Uh, Like, I think it's Mm -hmm. real on this surface. I I don't know how much higher than, you know, 40 or 42-ish in the rankings he goes because I just don't know how successful that forehand will be. I remember years ago, Kale Hammond... uh, tweeted about uh Navona's backhand like this is gonna like this is insane it's real like it's that. real um I I agree with you the backhand's a big weapon um I think he can do more on his serve I think he, I think he's maybe just you know just getting it in a little too much 
forehand has long been a problem. Not like a problem, not like a major problem at the level he's been playing at, but as he goes up higher and higher in the rankings, you know, players are going to be able to get more pace to rush him from that wing and, you know, expose, expose his forehand a little more. So I think you're uh, spot on in your assessment of him. I think his backhand's great. I think his forehand is not at the ATP tour level off of clay, especially, but even if he's, Facing, you know, some of these higher level players on clay, off on clay, I'm not totally convinced that um, he's going to be able to execute at the level that he needs to. Um, you know, N- Nori was hurt, I believe, right? Uh, in Rio, um, Nori was hurt. Fonseca ran out of gas. Um, and then Cordia had played a crap ton of tennis recently in the first round um and so i don't necessarily think the run and he had struggled in his two prior events um in the golden swing um in the main draw so i'm not totally sure let me put it this way i would rank on clay i think i'm going to talk just on clay sure in terms of I like Diaz Acosta the most. I Me like Navoni the second most. I like Dardari the third most. I think I agree with that assessment coming out of real or not real. Last yeah. topic for you. Oh, I haven't even been using the word. Okay. I haven't even been using the word real or not real. I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's no, it's perfect. We're all kind of real, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's the right assessment. Uh, so I got no problem with it. Last but not least, things to watch for in Sandy, uh, Santiago. You can pick one player, one storyline. So, for example, here's mine. Albert Ramos Vinolas has made a quarterfinal in every season uh, in the month of February, in every season since 2015. He is at jeopardy of not making a quarterfinal in the South American clay court swing for the first time in a decade here this year. <laughs> Something to watch for, David Gertler, as he takes on who does he have early? He's got Hugo Delian in round number one. He gets That's through that. He'll face one. the winner of Munar and Zapata Marias for a spot in the quarters. It's doable. It's what I'm saying. So that's my fun storyline. You pick I, one as well to wrap today's oh show. Oh, man. I don't think it's – I mean, it's doable, but in the sense that um, it's possible. Yeah. But that's I don't – what necessarily, doable means. I just don't think it's not likely. Uh, fair enough. At all. Just because Delian, I know – I don't – I think Delian's going to get the ball onto Ramos's uh, backhand a little too often. I just, and I think he's just so much more physical than uh, Ramos at that stage of his career. Um, and then Munar is going to do the same thing if he gets past the uh, Miralles, which I expect he will. Just grind Ramos down to a pulp. Uh, this is n- three years ago. I would say he's the. Two years ago, I would say he's the favorite. I mean, this used to be Ramos's time to shine. I remember he was the one that lost to to uh, JMC in the uh, Cordoba final. Uh, Juan Manuel Sarandolo. He used to be like in the later stages of all these tournaments. Um, however, I just don't think physically he's where he needs to be. Um, in terms of what my storyline is, I know I'm being a little long winded. I apologize. Um, I would say we'll, didn't apologize we'll, till the end. Well done by oh. you, but we snuck one in. Well done. Just saying. I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Please. Uh, oh my god. I I'm sorry if I've been cut. Well, okay. I'm Here we go. Give me your Santiago storyline. I would say will. I think the conditions in um, Santiago being at altitude, being in um, in Chile, really favors um, someone like uh, Nicolas Yardi. And I will be very interested to see if he repeats or not. Yeah. Um, 
he has a, a very interesting stylistic contrast against Federico Coria. Uh, you couldn't think of two different players, I don't think. No, that was going to be my second storyline because he also gets to play in front of a home crowd. And it's always special when these South American players have the opportunity to do that. By ranking, he should be Wait. in Acapulco this week. And he's not. And it's because it's in Santiago. That's why he stayed. He's pulling a Casper Rude. He's uh, Mr. Two. No, it, no, it's because it's in his home country. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's uh, be clear. But here, um, here's yeah. the thing, though. I thought in Buenos Aires when he beat Alcaraz, we haven't, we never even mentioned that he beat yeah, Alcaraz. True. Um, and so I thought his rallying, I thought his baseline game was. Um, I thought he played. He again. He probably if he breaks. Uh, Diaz Acosta in game number one. He was up love 40 in that opening game of the match before Diaz Acosta held. I think he wins the match. Like, I thought or he was playing he breaks great. breaks him in the last game of the match. Sure. I, I thought he, he was playing really good ball. finding his range. I know. I, I agree. He's the real deal. He is. I'm glad you mentioned him. I figured you would, and we'd get to sneak him because his weapons, with how well he moves at that size, guy's the real deal. And again, he's like five days younger than me. Um, so it always brings Oh, yeah, to my yeah. Eye. Yeah, when I get you to watch him compete. look a little but... similar with the hair. Yeah, it's because I have a headset on. With that said, David Gertler, <laughs> that's the South American Clay Court Swing. A thank you to you, as always, for taking the time to join us. You got anything you need to plug before we let you go? No, but I will say, I want to just shout out um, my Action Network supervisor, Avery Zimmerman, a long time ago. Maybe no, not long. A year or two, or a couple of years ago, was all high on Sebi Baez. I was like, "No way, he's huh. not gonna." I don't think he's gonna be nearly as good as you think. And now, now he's proven me wrong. Um, so shout out to Avery for that. Shout out to Avery. Shout out to you for joining us. And a shout out as always to our super Thank producer you. Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in day out making all of our content possible a thank you as well to our friends at tennis point for their support tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with all that said for the fantastic david gertler our super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin uh david what do we tell our listeners i gotta memorize that's the break i um, love it and appreciate you as always taking the time to join us Thank you so much. And thank Westoff, too. Oh, I will, as always. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye.